Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. We have a great episode for you today. We are talking about red light again, but this time we're talking about the relationship between the gut microbiome and the brain and how applying red light to both might actually have some really, really deep benefits. So thanking you guys for being here, reminding you that natnidham.com is the place where you get all the information about all the things that are going on in my world and also about how you can join my private membership community on Mighty Networks and we can hook up live in Q&As that, as a matter of fact, I'm going to be doing one in just 40 minutes with the membership, live Q&As, end of one experiments using amazing products we feature on the podcast, lots of fun stuff in there. So I encourage you to check that out. Now, let's talk about working out. Let's talk about how we create more time and space in our lives. Are you tired of spending hours on cardio and even worse with minimal results? Well, listen up because I don't either. And I've got a game-changing fitness breakthrough for you. And it's called the Carol Bike, the science-backed time-saving solution trusted by experts for optimizing health and longevity. With Carol's revolutionary reduced exertion HIIT workouts, that's re-HIIT workouts, you can achieve double the health and fitness benefits compared to regular cardio in 90% less time. So studies have shown that by doing Carol's quick, even just their five-minute workout, although I do the 10-minute, but just three times a week, you can improve your fitness by 12%, reduce the risk of type 2 diabetes by 62%, and even wind back your internal clock by up to 10 years. Like, that's nuts. And look, the science is clear. Carol Bike can be your ticket to a healthier, more vibrant life. And here's an exclusive offer for you, my listeners. You can get $100 off with code NAT, N-A-T. So don't wait. If you're interested in this, check out carolbike.com and unlock your path to longevity today. All right, let's talk a bit about this episode. Have you ever wondered how the natural power of sunlight could be harnessed to boost our health? In this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast, I chat with Sarah Turner about red light therapy. Now, together, we unpack the science that underlines the interaction of red light with our bodies. We discuss numerous benefits it may offer for various health conditions and the crucial aspect of tailoring that dosage for optimal results. Sarah also goes into the gut-brain connection and how red light therapy may be beneficial for our microbiome. She also discusses the concept of structured water and its influence on our health, and she explains how light can alter the structure of water and consequently impact our bodies. Now, to top it all off, we will share some fascinating case studies and discuss an innovative device that she's designed for brain health that overcomes the barrier presented by the skull. Now, Sarah is a pro in this area. She's obtained obtained degrees in psychological sciences and nutritional medicine with a postgraduate qualification in clinical neuroscience. She studied many techniques, both orthodox and alternative, with one goal in mind, to improve and optimize brain wellness and prevent brain-related disease. While in California, Sarah became involved with the biohacker movement, which led her to her current understanding of the overriding role of physics in biology and fueled her fascination with light and its healing effect on the body and mind. Now, to learn more about Sarah and her work, just go to sarahthrive.com. 
And if her work speaks to you, she has offered the listeners of this podcast an amazing discount on this cutting-edge technology that is just hitting the market as we speak. All you have to do is go to sarahthrive.com, and Sarah is C-E-R-A, thrive.com, and enter NAT10 at checkout. All right, one more little piece of housekeeping before we jump into the episode. Did you know that your quantum energy field is constantly disrupted by toxicity and stress? This is why I use Leela Quantum Tech products and because stress is a known element in aging and many people still struggle to manage it. Now, by levering Leela Quantum products, you can help yourself master stress and feel more at ease ultimately contributing to a longer lifespan. This is why I never leave home without this technology. I've got, you're watching this on YouTube, I've got my heel capsule around my neck because I'm traveling right now. Now, Leela Q products have been studied with dark field microscopy, and these studies demonstrate significant protective and improvement effects of the Leela quantum block technology on the blood following just a 10-minute exposure. Now, with over 15 studies already done and counting, Leela Q's latest third-party study revealed a remarkable 20 to 29% increase in ATP production. That's cellular energy, a vital process for our bodies. By harnessing quantum energy, you can give your body a boost and slow down aging. Now, upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure and quantum energy by visiting Leela q.com leela is l-e-e-l-a-q.com and use code nac 10 to get 10 percent off your first leela quantum tech order all right now let's jump into the episode one thing about the intro for today's episode is i am traveling i am at las vegas at the a4m at the big anti-aging conference and i don't have a mic with me so the reason why i've had these headphones around my ears is because i'm kind of tapping into their mic so the sound quality on this intro is not going to win any awards but hopefully you'll just get the message and dive into the episode where i did have my mic Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Welcome back to the show, everybody. I am so thrilled to have my good friend and brilliant researcher, scientist person, Sarah Turner here today with us. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Nat. Lovely to be here, of course. Yes. Well, we've been planning this for a long time. (laughs) I think we've planned and and moved and canceled a couple of podcasts. I think the last time was me, something about my move or something. Anyway, we are here to dive into red light and all all about red light, red light the brain, red light in the gut, the connection between the gut and the brain, how red light might help people to achieve really interesting results by tapping into this. So, but before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about red light. Like I've always thought of you as Sarah, the red light person, like you're the expert in this zone of red light. So give us a little bit of foundation in the top subject so we can continue on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in an orderly fashion. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, I've, I have focused now quite a few years looking at red light therapy. And of course, red light therapy is is very interesting because it's actually utilizing natural wavelengths that we get in the sun anyway. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what drew me to kind of really focus my time 
looking at red light therapy because there are lots of ways you can kind of modulate the brain. There are lots of lots of neurotech. There's lots of um, different kinds of therapies. But this one specifically is using wavelengths that we already find in nature. Mm-hmm. We're just kind of harnessing those wavelengths and then giving it to the body in a, in a specific format, depending on what we're trying to do. Um, and you've probably had people talking about red light therapy before. But yeah, just to go over some of the basics. Yeah. Of course, in order for anything to have an effect in the body, the body has to take in the information and translate that information into something useful. So red light is actually taken by light receptors in our body. And and it's probably no surprise, bearing in mind we're like we really diurnal mammals that have evolved outside, that our whole body is covered in light receptors of various kinds. Uh, and and different wavelengths of light actually, or different colours as people might talk about wavelengths, uh, actually have different physiological effects in the body, depending on which light receiver they're actually taken in by. Right. So specifically, we're talking about red light therapy. And red light therapy encompasses uh, red light from about 600 nanometers up to near infrared too, you know, up to um, 1,200 nanometers. So people tend to sort of bracket that whole thing as red light, but we're actually talking about quite a broad spectrum of light from red to near infrared. Mm-hmm. And and the, the primary way that that is received in the body is by a particular enzyme in the mitochondria. Right. Uh, so, so that's probably, you know, you know, textbook, that is how light is received in the body. The light penetrates into the body. It activates the mitochondria in a very specific part of the um respiratory train or sometimes it's called the electron transport chain and that has various knock-on effects most notably the production of atp which is the energy molecule in the body right so yeah so so really that's one of the main ways that the red light exerts its effect is by giving the body a lot more energy and of course if you have a lot more energy for work you know the body can can do a lot with that Mm-hmm. Also, also, it causes things like a release of nitric oxide. We get um, increased blood flow. Again, you know, this is something that's fundamental to healing is that you have good blood coming in, good oxygenated blood and, and removal of waste products. So they're probably from a very, very simplistic point of view, because red light does a, a huge plethora of things, you know, way beyond just energy and blood flow. But that's a good place to start. You know, that's probably the main benefit of red light therapy on the body. Right. And so you mentioned that there's a huge range of, of wavelengths that we talk mm-hmm. about in red light, anywhere from 600 to 1200. Once we get to 1200, we, the naked eye doesn't actually see that light anymore. Right. That's the near infrared. Or yeah, well, actually, we can't really we can't really see we can't really see the light past about 700. Right. I mean, right. But yeah, once we start getting to those really long wave, because when we're talking about 700, 1200, you know, it all sounds like numbers, but what we're actually talking about is the length of the wave. Okay. So so red is a shorter wavelength than the near infrared because we're kind of going up in wavelengths. And so as a rule of thumb, you know, the longer the wavelength, the more it penetrates into the body, although there are some caveats to that because, because, the light becomes absorbed and scattered in various ways, depending on the tissues that it hits on the way. But as we start to go further and further into the red and we get to far infrared, the body perceives that more as heat and things like saunas, people are asking, okay, what's the difference between red light therapy device and a red light therapy sauna? 
Well, the saunas tend to be very long wavelengths, like 3,000 nanometers. Mm, So they heat you from the inside, kind of. Yeah. So then you're getting a, it's a different effect. You're you're getting um, a heat effect as opposed to a photonic effect. And and there are different mechanisms at play. So this, this therapy that we're talking about, usually the devices end at, you know, 1,200 nanometers wavelength. And and in fact, most a little bit before that. So most of the devices that you'll see on the market, they're targeting this enzyme in the mitochondria. So they're looking at the absorption peaks of that enzyme. So things, so you have 630, you have 650, you have 810, you have 850. A a little bit longer, you have 1070. So Mm -hmm. this is all within that fairly tight range of visible red and near infrared light. Right. And so all of those affect the mitochondria, the mitochondria, it's the cytochrome C, is that the enzyme we're talking about or is it? Yeah, that's the main enzyme that people look at, cytochrome C oxidase. It actually also has been shown to trigger um, the the second enzyme in in the respiratory chain. Red light also uh, is taken up by heme in the blood. And Mm -hmm. in fact, you know, there's a lot of compounds in the body that have an aromatic ring which is something that will respond to light in some way so Mm. we're being very simplistic when we say you know the red light is taken up by cytochrome c oxidase and this leads to atp that does happen and that's probably one of the main mechanisms but it's not the only one by far but certainly that's where most people kind of putting their attention for the main mechanism of these red light therapy devices in particular Okay. And so you were saying that the length of the of the wavelength determines yep. how deep the 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 light will penetrate into the tissues. Is that that's right. Did I get that right? That's, yes, that's so then, right. So does that, so that means that the shorter wavelengths like in closer to the 6 the end of the 600 end of the spectrum, those are going to be more shallow in effect basically. That's going to be more of a surface effect or that's maybe right. a few layers into the dermis, let's say. Yeah, so those device, you know, so red light, the visible red light that you can see is fairly superficial. Mm-hmm. You know, it might penetrate deep into the body, and that's why you're, you know, a lot of the face masks and things that you see as a an, an anti wrinkle treatment, they use the red light because it's it's gonna penetrate into the skin, but not much further. But that's you know that's what you need for that kind of effect. Right. Right. Helps with collagen. It helps with fibrogen. It does a lot of really cool things. But if you want to get deeper into the body, you do need a longer wavelength of light. Interesting. Interesting. One of the conversations also is around laser, like the type of bulb that's used to deliver the light. Right. So some mm-hmm. of them, some of them, the LED I think is more of a fan. Let's say emerging, so it's going to dissipate more. Whereas a laser is going to be more focused and might go more deep. Is that, did I get that right? Like, will a laser, um, does it depend also on the on the type of bulb that you're using to deliver that light to? Well, the difference mainly between laser light and light that's delivered from an LED is actually whether or not the light is in phase, mm. which basically means are all of the photons on the same path? Okay. And in laser light, they are. You know, in laser light, you have all of the wavelengths are matched up. So you have a, a coherent light. So right. you're having unidirectional light, lights all going in the same way. LED doesn't have that. LED has kind of light that's cut, could be coming out all over the place. The You can have LEDs built in various different ways. Some of them kind of have a wider aperture. Some of them you can actually focus in, you know, and there is kind of a, 
a mix between the two. There's now laser LEDs as well as lasers and LEDs. So I think the main thing to think about when you're comparing laser and LED is, is coherence or not of the light. Okay. And of course, people come from their from their own place of, of what they favor because with laser you can you can target a very specific spot, you know, mm-hmm. a very, very narrow spot because we're talking about light going in one direction. Whereas you can't do that so much with LED. Uh, however, you are getting interference patterns from all of the lights that are kind of incoherent and kind of traveling into the body. So there's pros and cons. So with the laser, you can target a specific spot, but potentially you're getting a, a very limited range. With LED, you're getting, they call it speckle, but it's really just these interference patterns of the light. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because you can be very, very targeted with laser, there is also a, a safety issue with your eyes because it can burn, you know, because you are focusing a very direct beam at a very small spot, which means, you know, for for a for the power ratio, you're getting a lot of power in one spot, you know, think about using. Yeah, yeah. so you, it could be for good or for not so good. <laughs> yeah, just think of, you know, the, you know, the magnifying glass on, on the grass, you know, you can focus like into a, into a spot and then all of a sudden, you know, you can burn something. So I think that's another one of the differences when people use laser and people use LED. People who use laser have to do it in a very safe setting. It has to be a clinical setting. It's not something you kind of want to do at home. LEDs makes these light therapy devices much more accessible because you take away that that concern. Right. Okay. Well, that makes sense. Um, okay. So wavelength is one is one very important parameter. So understanding what wavelength um, any kind of device is delivering is going to affect what it's able to accomplish. And then the other me- metric that you mentioned we mention often is output. So that's kind of like is that basically the power behind the the delivery mechanism that's right yes and so what what should people know about that like is there are what questions should people be asking about their devices when it comes to output well do you know output this is one of those things where there just isn't a consensus right now interesting okay it's very very interesting because really this is the medicine and yet people focus more on the bottle a lot of the time you know Mm -hmm. what does the device look like and where does it go and when actually it's the you really want to think about the photons that are getting into your body. Yeah. So there's a lot of different things to consider. It's, of course, the dose or the power output is very important because you need to have enough photons getting to wherever you want them to go to have an effect. Uh, You also don't want to overdo it. You don't want to have too many photons going there because then you negate the effect. So normally when people talk about light, they talk about a a biphasic response. Mm -hmm. And that's just kind of posh words for saying, okay, a little won't do. Too much is, you know, you can have too much. You need to get a sweet spot. Right. Most of the devices, you know, if they're coming from people that are, are reputable companies and you're not just buying like a car backlight off Amazon or something, if you're buying a device that's meant for a health and wellness function, people have worked out, okay, this is a good dose for a certain time. Right. Um, so people measure it in different ways uh, and people express it in different ways. Sometimes people talk about the lumber of LEDs. Some people just talk about the output. I think the most useful metric is to look at joules per centimeter squared mm. because that takes into account the energy, but also um, time in effect. Right. 
Right. So, so that might determine whether you need to use your device for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or five minutes. Like that's Well, that takes into account time. Joules per centimeter squared takes into account the treatment time. Right. So something like, we're, let's say we're going to talk about red light therapy for the brain. Okay. Uh, yeah. and we're going to the get there. Yeah. The, the research indicates that you need somewhere between three and 50 joules per centimeter squared in order to have a therapeutic dose. Now that's the amount of of energy that we're putting out. What goes in is another story because mm-hmm. we don't really know if we're, when we're using these devices, what's going actually into the brain, you know, people, and also people are different, you know, so people have different skin tones, people have different water composition in their skin, different ages, different thicknesses of bone, different amounts of adipose tissue. So we, are really at a phase, I think, in red light therapy where people are starting to learn a lot more about dose and how to tailor it to mm-hmm. a specific person, a specific condition. It really depends what you're trying to do. And and also you need to consider, you know, light will only go in a straight line. So if you've got a panel and you're kind of standing in front of it, a lot of that is the light is going to be reflected. It's going to bounce off. It's going to do different things you're going to get a different amount of light into if you're standing in something that contours to your body. Mm, mm. So for the same output, one could be 30 joules per centimeter squared, so could the other, but the one that contours to the body, you're going to get a lot more of the dose actually into your body. So there is a lot to consider mm-hmm. with the dosing question. And it's something, you know, I'm really trying, you know, it's not standardized at the moment. At all. Yeah. Uh, but it will be. And I think people are, you know, the more research that comes out, the more people start to use the technologies, the more people will start to standardize and recognize, OK, th- this is how you deliver us X dose and, and it's going to have this effect. But it is yeah. at the moment, like I say, it's something where you do have to do a bit of research and take into account how it's going to work for you and your specific condition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it sounds like it's a little bit all over the map. Okay, so let's let's start. So, you know, people use red light. The The biggest conversation around red light typically is for um, is for skin, as you mentioned before. Yep. Right. For aesthetics. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, we have for injuries. Right. People will use their red light devices, hoping that it's going to help their injuries to resolve faster. And I've definitely seen this happen over and over again. There's some reasonably good research around it. So that's a big check mark over there because we're activating mitochondria and basically giving them more energy. There's even applications of the red light, even for hair, right. For hair growth to support, right. Like on the aesthetics front, but then we get into this world. And the first I ever heard of red light for the brain was back when I was in school studying nutrition. And I did, I wrote a paper on Parkinson's disease. And at the time I came across this story of this man who had Parkinsonian symptoms and he did many, many different things to, to basically do something because his doctor said, well, there's nothing we can do. And he was like, yeah, it's not going to work for me. (laughs) Um, And one of the things he did is that he lined a bucket with red lights and they, I don't think they were particularly sophisticated red lights. They, I don't know exactly too much about the red lights that he used. And he stuck this bucket on his head for I don't know how long every day and believed that and it it seemed to have helped him to the point where other people started doing the bucket thing. And so there's clearly and and I think there's quite a lot of research now around red light and the brain. And so maybe we could talk a little bit about 
moving from the red light bucket to the world where we are today. Um, and I love that story. I love that story. And actually, people should check it out because there's a whole little documentary about it on YouTube. Um, it was actually in Tasmania. Yes, and that's right. In, in Africa, they ran yeah. out of buckets and they were using waste paper bins and they were using lampshades, all kinds of things, because they were getting such good results. Mm-hmm. And it's since been taken and written up, you know, in a, in a more professional way. Uh, and people are now, yes, of course, trying to work out what that effect is and how can we maximise on that effect. And actually, Parkinson's is is one of those uh, brain disorders that does seem to really respond to this therapy, which is interesting, right? Because Parkinson's starts apparently deep in the brain. You know, that those dopamine cells that are going are in the substantia nigra. You know, that's not on yeah, the surface yeah. of the brain where potentially we can get light to. Mm-hmm. Something is going on where either the light is somehow being taken deep into the brain or there is a systemic effect of the light or there's a there's a way that the body is just increasing in general wellness and that's having an effect on these people. Well, I think part of that research also turned up some really interesting stuff around the microbiome and yes and right the effect like there was one researcher who'd figured out like she'd gone through a bunch of different cases and had figured out that there was there was a connection with the olfactory nerve in the nose as well as in the gut microbiome and it had to do with exposure to certain pesticides and the formation of these Lewy bodies which she said seemed to travel up the nerve into the brain and you know, I, I mean, so this this is going back, I don't know, over ten years ago, and who knows what happened to that research and if it's been refuted or if there's something to it. But, but I think what I got out of it is a red light on the head, super interesting, and b um, that things like Parkinson's don't just start. It's not only a brain thing. Like there's other things going on in other parts of the body. So I definitely That's- want us to talk about red light in the gut as well. But let's. So with the brain, and and there are certain companies that sell devices that are like, you know, we haven't studied our device on the head, so don't put this thing on your head. Meanwhile, people are running around buying things to put on their head that has that delivers red light. So I don't know if you have like any more to share with us on this whole area of research around red light and its effect on the brain. Yeah, well, I mean, th- this is this is a field that's exploding right now because people are getting such great results. And and actually, you know, one of the ladies that was probably doing some of the studies you mentioned, Dr. Anne Lee, but she's running um, some trials over in Australia, in Sydney, and, and they are finding exactly this. They're doing red lights specifically on the head uh, and they are monitoring people with Parkinson's and they're also doing things like taking stool samples and seeing exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. But it's not just Parkinson's. You know, there are lots of people. There's Dr. Paolo Cassano um, in the States, and he's just opened up a research clinic. At the moment, you know, he can't have people coming as patients. They have to be research subjects. But, you know, there is enough data there to show. Um, I think he's done. he's published on um, people with Down syndrome who have increased um, cognition as a result of red light therapy. Really? He also is looking at major de- major depressive disorder and finding that he's able to um, have a positive effect on that condition. You know, so there are people that are, are looking at red light therapy. Uh, you know, there are lots of companies, as you said, that specifically make devices for the head because there are a, a few things to take into consideration. 
which is slightly different. You know, the head is is slightly different. One, you've got to get through the cranium. Right. You know, you have to get <laughs> the, the skull, sorry. Yeah. You have exactly. to get through the skull. So you can't just use, you know, so much of just a, a red light. Although, as you know, with the bucket head people, you know, they were using red light and they were seeing some effects. But I think majority of people are looking at near infrared because you can actually then get to the surface of the brain. And that seems to have an enhanced effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's interesting to me and why I particularly am interested in this systemic effect of red light therapy, where you kind of have a an overall increase in wellness by just stimulating one part of the body and it seems to to raise the health of all parts, is that, yes, you can just use red light and you can stimulate the blood. You can also use near-infrared and get to the surface of the brain. Perhaps you can also use a gut panel and get to the microbiome. So you really are maximizing your chances of having a therapeutic effect on the brain by utilizing all these things, you know, mm-hmm. but let's stimulate the gut and let's see if we can get onto the surface of the brain. Right. But th- there's a ton of animal models of Alzheimer's, of Parkinson's, where they have very well demonstrated that there is an effect of red light. Now we're going into like clinicals with humans and these effects are being duplicated, but obviously at a slower rate because these trials take a long time. But certainly Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, post-traumatic stress, TBI, you know, these are things which people are actively researching right now. Yeah, no, I mean, it's such a fascinating area. And I just think that uh, I just, you know, it was interesting what you said earlier is when we think about where Parkinson's in the brain, where the action is, it's this Mm -hmm. substantia nigra, which is deep, deep in the brain and you know, there's a reasonable chance we're not actually getting there. Um, But, you know, I think it speaks to the power of chemical messaging and all of the ways that the body has to transfer information or a stimulus from one place to another place where it's needed. So, which I think... That is the fascinating bit, you know, what, how is the body doing this? And, and of course, we're talking about light, it's a physical phenomenon. Mm -hmm. It's not So we have to then get our minds out of kind of the biochemical pathways and start to think about biophysics, which is a totally different way of viewing biology. And if Mm -hmm. you start to think about the brain in terms of physics, then all kinds of avenues open up. And if you start to think about quantum physics, you know, it's limitless because actually how is the light, how is light actually influencing our tissues? You know, Mm -hmm. there probably are quantum processes at play because light is is quantum and so people are now looking at all different ways that the brain could actually be processing light i'm very interested in structured water because it's something that i was researching before i got into photobiomodulation and we already know that when light shines onto a a surface a hydrophilic surface that's next to water that we can change the structure of water so the brain is mainly water you know our bodies are mainly water Mm -hmm. and so of course there is probably an effect that's going on there. We also know that our our cells emit light as well as receive light. We emit light. You know, we have biophotons, which is very, very low, weak emissions of light. Maybe these are being triggered. You know, maybe we're stimulating this different communication system that we haven't really looked at before because it's a little bit outside of our biochemical model of the brain that we have right, right now. Right, right, right. Interesting. And, and so that that is very, very interesting when people, you know, actually, I've been to a lot of events where it's 
academic people that have kind of been a long time in this biochemical world are starting to, to consider, okay, perhaps we do have these other effects. You know, we now, we recognize quantum effects in uh, photosynthesis, for example, you know, that's now becoming more established. Well, our body has like its own version of that in the mitochondria. So of course, you know, there's going to be some of these effects and protons are in certain way acting similar to an electron. Mm -hmm. So we start to build up a different picture of the brain. If we start to think about the brain in terms of physics instead of chemistry. Yeah, that's fascinating. So let's, do you want to talk about structured water a little bit? Because I find that topic super interesting. Like, you know, I've recorded one podcast with, I don't know if you've heard of the Analema wand and they, you know, they've, they have a crystal wand that, that they filled with this water that's been structured. They call mm -hmm. it mother water. And mm -hmm. they talk about using the wand to stir your water and helps the water that you're about going to use to get structured itself. And they have fascinating experiments that they've done on plants and animals, which they've got some human studies as well, but the, but the plants and animals to me are, are in some ways more fascinating because they don't lie. There's no, there's no placebo effect, you know, plant, this little plant over here versus that little plant over there. Nobody knows, you know, this one's getting this kind of water, this one's getting that. And yet there seems to be a very real effect on how these plants are able to grow. Do you want to talk a little bit about this? Because I, I don't know nearly as much about it as I would like to. And I'm, I'm always fascinated by the idea of structured water and the idea that water that we get from nature is naturally structured. Yes. But by the time it gets, it comes out of your tap, it's just been stripped of its ability to get organized, if you will. <laughs> well, I went, there was a lot of work about this kind of um, quantum coherent domains in water and things like that. That was Dr. May Wan Ho. Many, many years ago, I actually had the pleasure of going to her house and filming her a long time ago. But, but more recently, uh, Dr. Jerry Pollock, of course, wrote the book, Fourth Phase of Water, and he does a brilliant job mm -hmm. of kind of bringing it down to, to lay terms where he kind of does little drawings of batteries and talks a lot about charge, because really that's what we're talking about with structured water, because we're very familiar with the model of water, which is H2O. Yes. But actually, there are lots of different other molecular structures that water can take, um, and they have different properties. Mm -hmm. So. Ice, for example, I, ice is structured water. You know, it's right. water that's got a very specific structure and it's a lattice structure with strong bonds in between. So it's hard, you know, it's harder than water. But what happens if you shine light onto water is um, the protons or these kind of the, the, the bonds in between the lattice get pushed out into the bulk water. So then you have these lattice sheets form next to any kind of membrane or any kind of hydrophilic surface. Actually, Jerry Pollock wasn't interested in biology. He was a material scientist. So he was just looking at naphion tubes, you know, anything that's got a charge. Um, and so then you get this like gel-like water, which is different. It, you know, it's, it's no longer H2O because you've pushed the, some of those H's out, right? And then it mm -hmm. forms different bonding. And this has a different charge because it's you've pushed out the, the hydrogens, which are positive. So you have negatively charged water next to the surface. Now, the reason why this is very interesting in biology is because the way that pro proteins fold is they are attracted to different charges on the surface. Right, 
Right. So if you can optimize, you know, the body knows what it wants. You know, these proteins are all um, hydrated. You know, all proteins in the body are hydrated, which means, you know, that they're surrounded by water. You can actually change the charge on proteins. This could affect protein fo- folding, which, of mm-hmm. course, is interesting for the brain. You know, you don't want protein misfolding anywhere, but specifically not in the brain. So, you know, that's just one example. Any Anything in the body is related to charge, really. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The charge on different surfaces, you know, it's how the body recognizes things. It's how how the body operates. It's how you have nerve impulses and everything. So I think the main takeaway from structured water is, yes, when you have this charge in the water, it, it has a huge impact on all biology and all living systems because living systems are operating based on relative charges to each mm-hmm. other. So, yeah. yes, you know, plants you know, we're not so different to plants in our molecular structure and what's actually going on at at that kind of fundamental level. So Mm -hmm. it's a surprise that we respond. And there are ways in nature that that we charge water, you know, even like vortexing, you know, some people charge water by step. Yeah, well, that's what water does when it comes down from streams and and things naturally anyway. You know, that's already charging it. And, of course, most water that's outside is under sunlight. So you're getting vortexed charged water in any kind of a flowing water way where people mm-hmm. you know get their water from so you're right if you have water that's kind of standing you know it's it's lost that charge you know you're not getting structured water one issue i have is that the body will structure the water for you because your body is full of charged surfaces right right so right, right. You know, so I still don't really know how much of if you're drinking structured water, how much of that structure remains once you've once you've taken it into your body mm-hmm. because your body's going to do something with it. But potentially, yeah, you're better off drinking structured water than you are drinking tap water for sure for lots of reasons. Oh yeah, no, and I wonder if the thinking it's like the thinking around so many other things around the body is if we're providing the body with water that's already structured, it's one less bit of energy we have to expend to structure the water i mean i don't know yeah but yes you know like it's if you're delivering something to the body that's kind of already done it's one less thing that energy has to be expended towards um and there's a benefit certainly in the you know in a lot of the experiments that people have done they've seen to show a benefit because i would think that plants as well have the ability to structure water to a point like when you're eating fruits or vegetables isn't the water that you're getting from those all pretty much structured it's structured yes and then we could kind of go on you know it's also deuterium depleted you know which is another that was last week's show (laughs) it's a whole nother topic but just to bring it back to light the way that you can structure the water in your body is to use red and infrared light yes yes you know because what you're doing potentially is you you're covered in these hydrophilic surfaces that's your membranes you know, you shine light onto the body and the body is then utilizing that light energy to change the charge in the water with all of the health implications that that entails. Perfect. So, yes, you can drink structured water, but you can also use red and near infrared light. And you can actually structure water with light, of course, in bottles. You know, I know a lot of people who have different color bottles and they line it up depending on what they're trying to do. But the reason why it's particularly interesting for me looking at the brain is because that could explain some of these effects that we don't quite yet understand as to right. why long wave light 
seems to have these amazing effects and yet we're really only treating you know the light's only getting to a few millimeters of the brain at most right 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 but if it's helping to restructure the water in the brain then that's going to have a systemic effect on the brain yeah Yeah. that's that's so fascinating right so it's it's like there's so many different angles to this so moving to a different angle from the brain the gut and this Mm -hmm. is an area that you've studied it as well like the effect of light on the gut and the ultimate, which is ultimately about the microbiome. Like we're not trying necessarily to affect the intestine. I mean, not that we wouldn't want a healthy colon and all that stuff, but really when we talk about red light, applying red light to the lower abdomen, we're very often hoping that we're bringing some kind of benefit to that colony of, of bugs that we have in our gut that fundamentally is you know, you may think you're running the show, but I secretly think they're all running the show for us. So yes, for sure. I've often wondered that we are more bacterial and yeast and everything else. And we are human, which mm-hmm. sometimes is pause for thought, you know, who is running the show? You're right. You know, especially, you know, all kinds of dysbiosis is now being linked to addictive personality disorder, to mood disorder, to depression, to neurodegeneration. The, the reason why I'm kind of interested in irradiating the gut with light is is the strong connection between the gut and the brain. You know, mm-hmm. we have this kind of uh, bi-directional communication. And also it's a good access point. You know, if you want to maximize, you know, getting a light therapy, the gut is a, is a good way in. You know, you can kind of lay it flat there. There's a lot of things going on under the surface. You're potentially targeting the vagus nerve. You're targeting the blood cells. You're even targeting the fat cells where we know we make stem cells. So for me, the gut is a good target site um, to act in conjunction with a brain device, because we know we can kind of do different things with a brain device. We can modulate the signal, we can do pulsing, we can do all kinds of things, but we're probably only getting a small amount of light in. If you combine that with a gut device, you can irradiate a bigger area, you can potentially get a lot more mitochondria, and also, we know now about this biodirectional communication between the brain and the gut. Through the vagus nerve, right? Through the vagus nerve, also through, like you say, through the microbiome. The microbiome mm-hmm. are releasing compounds all the time. You know, that's going via the vagus nerve, also via the blood. You know, there's there's a lot going on um, because nothing in the body works in isolation. Absolutely. Everything is just connected circles within circles. So you can't do something to one organ and 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 not affect all the others, you know, everything is so interconnected. And the gut and the brain, you know, well, the gut and the heart, you know, we're finding all different axes now, Mm -hmm. um, but certainly the gut and the brain in particular. And we talk about the microbiome. I mean, the microbiome are very similar to mitochondria in in their kind of physiology. Interesting. You know, actually, there's one of the major theories is that the mitochondria were once... um, microbes that were then taken up by unicellular creatures in order to kind of have this trade-off of, you know, one gets safety, one gets energy, and then we can start to grow. So it's no surprise then that that the bacteria respond to light. Uh, The jury's out a little bit. Is that, are you actually irradiating the microbiome directly when you use a red light therapy device on the gut? Or are you just making the environment more optimal so you get proliferation of the good ones? Mm. I think from all of the research I've seen, certainly on an animal model, it seems to be that you're affecting the microbiome directly. And, you know, there's a lot of studies to show, you know, on a mouse model that you can irradiate the gut and then you can see a different profile of bacteria. 
Interesting. Humans, you know, there's sometimes, you know, there can be a lot between your gut and, and actually the light surface and people seem to still get a beneficial effect. I think probably the body wants to turn to return to homeostasis. If you give the body energy, the body will do that. And when the body starts to return to that baseline, then the gut starts to work better. Then you get the good bacteria coming in. So I think a lot of the time what you're doing with the light is just kind of shifting the body towards a better balance, better homeostasis, and then the body's doing the rest. Hey guys, I got huge news for you. You know those bioregulator peptides that I'm always talking about? Those tiny little proteins that have the ability to get into your cell, get into the nucleus, bind to DNA, and upregulate the production of proteins that can literally rejuvenate you at a cellular level from the inside out? Well, they are back. They are back at my favorite provider, profound-health.com. And all you have to do is use code LONGEVITY15 to save 15% off your first order. And they've got them all. They've got bioregulators for the pineal gland to help to restore melatonin and reset your circadian rhythm. They've got bioregulators for the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, the ovaries, the adrenal glands, the thyroid, you name it, every major system. So go on over to profound-health.com and make sure you use code LONGEVITY15 to save 15% off your first order. Now let's get back to the episode. That's so interesting. And it's interesting that, you know, you kind of alluded to like someone who's got, who's carrying a lot more adipose tissue or fat in their belly, the light's going to have to get a, go a lot further to get to the microbiome. But we know that that fat itself is, it's active. Like it's not inert. It's producing inflammatory molecules. It's producing hormones. It's metabolically very active. And so I don't, I mean, I haven't particularly looked into this myself, but I'm sure that people are looking at red light on fat and what's the effect that's having on people's inflammation status. And it can only, I can only imagine that it's doing good. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And people are doing, you know, a little bit of, 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 of fat certainly, you know, is healthy to a certain extent because you're still, you know, yeah, so yeah. there's all kinds of good stuff that happens when you shine light onto that. Obviously, you know, if it, if it gets to a point where it, it's not healthy, that there are some studies to show that red light therapy used over a certain period helps people to lose fat cells. Mm-hmm. And certainly there is a lot in the, on the cosmetic side where people are doing that very successfully. Yeah. Um, but certainly at least you're getting to all the blood vessels. And we now know that the mitochondria are not contained within cells. We have a lot of free floating mitochondria. Right. right. So you can stimulate the mitochondria and those mitochondria will be drawn to the places where they're needed. Mm-hmm. So that's why I like kind of the idea of irradiating the gut because you're just increasing the health of the body generally. You know, even if you're, you know, you're aiming for a better brain, if you've got a dodgy knee, you know, the mitochondria are going to go there. The mitochondria are going to go where they are. They're needed. Yeah. 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 Well, even stem cells, right? Like stem cells are attracted to areas of damage ultimately. So it's interesting as I sit here, you know, I think I'm, I'm trying to think, but I believe that the biggest and first purchase I made in the biohacking space, as it were, was a red light panel, like huh. 10 or 12 years ago. And I remember I was obsessed with it and I would stand in front of it for 10 minutes, front and back every single night. And after a fairly short period of time, I like I stepped on a scale. I was like, oh my God, I've lost like two pounds. And I think at the time, I think it was a lot of inflammation, like just, 
I'd yeah. lost, you know, the inflammation had gone down. It was really quite remarkable. Okay. So let's, let's make our way now to your, your, you know, you've, you've had this massive interest in the brain in, in photobiomodulation, which is another term we use for applying light therapy and this connection between the gut and the brain. And so you decided, okay, let's, let's do something about this. So you've actually developed a device that actually does addresses both of these areas simultaneously. So let's, uh, let's let the cute red elephant in the room and talk about Sarah Thrive a little bit. (laughs) Oh, yeah. So this is actually a project that came out of, I was actually involved in some data collection actually for a Parkinson's trial, which was going on. Interesting. Okay. And so, um, because my background is, uh, I have a research background, um, mainly pharmaceuticals. And so I was doing some data collection and actually the device was a big, heavy device and it was quite difficult for people to use. And I thought, well, I can see that it's working. I mean, it was very obvious that it was working. So what were the benefits? So sorry, what were the benefits that people were seeing? Like what, what, when you say it was working, like what, what are people, what were people experiencing? So the trial was, um, it was actually six months and I was on for three months and we were looking at gait analysis. We were looking at response time. Um, Mm -hmm. We were looking at drawing a clock um, and there were certain blood biomarkers. But from my point of view, I was the person doing the data collection. So you're, you know, hello, Mrs. Jones, come in, sit down, please. You know, we're going to do the hand tapping today. And of course, all of I, from the analysis, you know, that has been proved to be statistically significant. However, from me speaking to these people, mm-hmm. you know, I've gone from people who are fairly disengaged to people who are interacting. And interestingly enough, it wasn't always in a, in a good way. You know, at the end of the study, some people were getting a bit peed off. You know, all of a sudden, oh, they're not getting not getting as much attention. It's like, okay, bye. You're not going to put my cardigan on. Well, no, you can do that now yourself, you know, because, because people were actually being able to change their behaviors. And for some people that was a a difficult thing. You know, you've gone from being dependent to suddenly you have to do your own cardigan up, you know, (laughs) you know, a bit indignant because you kind of, you assume a personality. And I think as a coping strategy, people, you know, maybe disengage because, you know, it's hard to, to go through that. And, or, you surrender, know. or surrender a bit to the, to what's happening. I mean, you get different types of people, right? Different personalities. Yes, different personalities, but generally in this group, you know, that there, there was a little bit resistance to getting mm-hmm. better because of the, you know, the increased responsibility. And, you know, even family members were saying, oh my, you know, goodness, you know, I actually had a row with her yesterday and, you know, <laughs> Not had nothing for like the last two years, you know, and now she's kind of answering back. She doesn't want that for her dinner, you know, and you're like, wow, that to me was the turning point. It's like, yeah, this is something very real that's happening here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, it's th- like a th- reawakening almost of that person. Well, it's it's de- it was definitely an indicator to me that people were will be able to see real results and that something was happening. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's really when I thought, okay, we need to have a small device that's easy for people. And I went to a few companies and and was lucky enough to find a company in the Netherlands that have made this band, uh, which is very easy and it's it's battery operated, so there's no wires, so people, you know, not kind of attached to a plug point. It's shielded. We've got the whole Bluetooth disable. 
And, and we're able to do lots of different things with that. We can play meditations. We can kind of oscillate the the frequency to entrain brain waves. And, and then another thing that I really wanted was to have a gut panel at the same time for all the reasons that we just spoke about. Because mm-hmm. I think if you want to really try to kind of maximize your chances of having a result, it's good to get light to the brain, but let's try and just get light to the body generally in, in a more accessible way. Yeah, well, it makes so much sense. And honestly, it's so easy. Once you're there. Yeah, you just put not? it. As you say, why not? Like I've had your device on at the <laughs> when we were at the Health Optimization Summit. And right. uh, there's a picture of me somewhere online. <laughs> and to begin with, the 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 red light on the belly feels amazing. So it's not like you're going to get any kind of resistance to that. It's actually like getting a bit of a... It's just a very gentle heat. You know, it's not... It's warm. Hot. It's not even heat. It's just a warm pad. It's very soft. Mm-hmm. It, it, you can just... I've got like a strap. I can show you, actually. I'm just looking. I've got them all over the... <laughs> all over the place. I've got I've got, got stuff all over the place. But this, this is kind of the final design. It is very simple on purpose, you know because this it's just on and off you know we, we're kind of limiting any kind of exposure i sometimes use it if i've got a bad back you know i just tuck it down my yoga shorts or down the front so that mm-hmm. so that was really the remit is to have something that was going to be easy for people enough that they do it because i think that is one of the caveats with red light is you do have to do it you yes. have to do it on a regular basis and and for an extended period mm-hmm. so so I'll just show you the headband. You can see how kind of small and easy it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's actually super comfortable. It's very light. It's um, very light. Yeah. And it's just 10 minutes a day, which will give um, the 30 joules per centimeter squared, which is kind of the dose that I'm working towards. And what's the wavelength you ended up choosing for this? What did you, going back to our discussion earlier. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, as I, as I mentioned, the it's longer about the wave- joules. Yeah. The longer wavelengths get a bit deeper, but I also wanted to have red light to stimulate the blood around the head. Um, and because also I love the bucket head people and I thought, well, they're definitely onto something. So I do have that red wavelength, which is 630. Mm-hmm. But then in the near infrared, I have um, 850, 940 and 1070. Oh, and so you have a whole I, mix in there. Yeah. I have a mix, and I've very specifically done that to try and target as many chromophores as possible. Because each of the wavelengths gets absorbed in a slightly different way. And actually, water becomes a major chromophore above 900 Mm -hmm. nanometers. So I'm trying to target the water as well as hit that cytochrome C oxidase, as well as hit all of the light receivers in the blood. I love it. So that's it. It's kind of like a... Yeah, it's a shotgun approach. Um, So so you and you reproduce this both for the headband and for the gut panel. So the gut, the gut panel is just two wavelengths because we don't okay. need to penetrate the bone. You know, it, right. it's easy access. We don't need those really long wavelengths. So the gut one is just um, the 630 and 850. And that one is recognized kind of for all of that gut stuff. You know, that's one. That's the main wavelengths that have been used in a lot of the research. Okay. So we've talked about Parkinson's people. Obviously, there's that population definitely there would be an application there for them to hopefully see some, some impact. Who are the other people? What are the other applications for it? Who are the other people that can use that, you know, when the Sarah thrives available, which hopefully by the time this is out, people will be able to buy it. 
Um, I will just say that there, at the moment there is no FDA classification for a brain health application. So even the study that was done on Parkinson's, although that's published and people are starting to to look to see if that can be submitted in an application, at the moment it's not. So all of these brain health applications are for research only. Okay. And that's with it's not just my device, that's with all oh, devices on the market. Nobody's got an application. People are looking to get them and and uh, certainly it looks like maybe Alzheimer's, maybe first or maybe autism. People are, are kind of really moving forward with clinical trials for um, autistic okay. spectrum disorder. But at the moment, it's a wellness device, you know, for all of these different devices. And the aim is to go from a baseline of where you're at to better. So okay. better memory, better cognition, better sleep, better performance, better focus. Right. So I, yeah, and, and it's, a, it's a wellness device. So really it's for anyone who kind of wants to go from their brain of where it's at to better. better. Which Better's good. Better is always much. good. Yeah, who doesn't right. want a better? Who doesn't want better? <laughs> bring it um now do you want to talk you had mentioned before we started recording that there were some case studies that you were able to share did we already talk about those or are there other case studies that you have hiding in your back pocket that you might be willing to share with the audience i have a few n equals one case studies which obviously you know that's that's what we're all about here <laughs> yeah that's kind of a biohacker style so i have some um actually at the moment um a fibromyalgia trial that's going on because that's a condition which is a body you know it's it's mainly mm-hmm. chronic pain at certain points but also you know there's a lot of data to suggest that there is also a personality involved in fibromyalgia so that's an interesting study where we're going to look to see okay what is the effect of this kind of particular gut brain connection but so far so good you know but uh that one is maybe for when we speak next okay. also somebody with ibs who has had relief from their symptoms which again is one of those conditions where it does seem to have a strong gut brain component um yeah. so that's something that's ongoing i'm collecting data but certainly that that person's self-reported scores and i use a myop which is a kind of a recognized way to collect the data but where you report your scores on your main symptoms so those are all going in the right direction nice um myself you know i have an aura ring so i'm constantly doing little things with my aura um and i have a great platform now where i can start to pull that data in so that is my next thing to start to look at other metrics like heart rate variability and do studies comparing that right uh, and even heart rate you know i have some studies going on here in england where we can't get them like the fancy tech but they can get the kind of cheaper fitbits and so we're now looking at heart rate versus using red light therapy so basically these are just metrics of of better health yeah. uh and, and these are the results that we're getting. But let's say th- this is my kind of phase now to be going into the research piece. So, you know, in a year's time, we're going to have a lot more data. Plus, we'll have the data on people who are opting in to be in the research when they buy the system. Mm, is that, So is that the offer? Basically, you buy the system and you have the option to opt in on sharing your data kind yes. of thing? That's right. And so we have a brain coaching program that goes with the system because a lot of times, you know, people are a little bit wary of these light therapies because they don't know how to use it. And there are certain tips that people can have depending on what they're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And the good thing 
Sarah Thrive system is that, like I say, we can actually modulate the light that's going out. So we can pulse the frequency of light depending on what we're trying to do. So some people may benefit from, you know, 10 hertz pulsed light. Some people may benefit from 40. We're looking at meditators who seem to be able to get into meditation quicker if they use 100 hertz. Um, oh, interesting. So they'll put on their red light. They'll put on their they'll put on the red light and meditate while using it. Yes, using the specific pulsing, which will be on a setting in the app. So using that, we can then um, record what people are actually doing it for, what setting that they used, and then we can use that data with their permission. Mm -hmm. The other thing we're doing is a brain coaching program where I said we collect people's data based on their own self-reported form. You know, what what is the thing that you're looking to deal with? How is it on a scale of one to five? How's your general wellness? So we can, you know, very quickly build up a big database to really show what's having the effect, whether it's pulsing, whether it's continuous wave, and then kind of move ourselves going forward to make sure that we're continually optimizing the output to give the best result. Are there people who should not use red light? Is there anyone you can think of that actually what I think what I was going to say is I was just going to circle back and say, so just to clarify for the audience, this device works with an, you have a band on your head, you have a band on your belly. It works with an app on your phone. And not only does it have a particular output of 30 joules per second squared, is that it? 30 joules per centimeter squared. Per centimeter squared, sorry. Um, but also there is an option to set it at different pulses, depending on what you're trying to achieve. And I would imagine the app will give people guidance on different pulses to try based on their desired outcome. Am I yeah, right so that? Yeah, the app will guide you because the, because they're called that, you know, like one might be called piece. So you kind of get an idea of where that's going to take you with that particular wavelength. Right meditate you know one's called chill one's called focus so people can kind of use it and guide themselves but also we encourage people to do the brain coaching program because then it's very specific we can do a case history and we can put somebody on a protocol see if it's working if they've got metrics we can bring in you know if people have got aura rings that can all be brought in so there are different ways but yes people can just use it based on the names of the programs and again this is optional if people just want to use it just on the light mode then that's possible they too. Can do that too yeah they can do that too but yes it's very interesting the pulsing i think again it's something several companies have found certainly for things like dementia that people tend to get stuck in this this way of thinking and that tends to be people get stuck in what they call low alpha so maybe mm-hmm. you can oscillate the light at a certain frequency like 10 and it sometimes helps people to change their mental state so it's very it's a very interesting way that you can enhance the therapeutic effect yeah i have a panel that offers the the option of picking different pulses in addition to different wavelengths it's actually quite quite um and you know i think i believe that 40 pulses seem to for some people have a better effect on pain um yeah, there's a lot of research. Yeah, they call that gamma frequency. Yeah, there's there's a lot of pain on on different effects of what's going on in the body. But it, again, it's it does tend to be individual, and sure. so that's why it's nice to be guided through. Mm-hmm. But of course, people who are used to self experimentation, you know, and if you have an awareness of what's going on in your body, you can kind of operate that way too. A hundred percent, I love it. Is there anybody who shouldn't use this modality? 
Is there anyone yes. you can think of that, that would be contraindicated? There are a few contraindications out there at the moment, for example, um, epilepsy, you know, with the pulsing, although with this particular device, it's flush against the forehead, it's not in the eyes at all. Mm. Um, and so, you know, but I think pe- there are certain caveats where people say, okay, let's just say no epilepsy. But actually, I know a lady in Australia who's doing a trial specifically for epilepsy. So oh, good. We'll okay. See what comes of that. Um, but there are no known side effects that have been documented, no known major side effects. As I've mentioned, it is a biphasic response. You can overdo it. Right. So, you know, if you take a device that's a 10-minute session and you use it for a few hours, you may find that you get a bit woozy, headaches, mm-hmm. you know, maybe trouble sleeping because, you know, you'll be activating your body to the point where it can't deal with the waste and maybe produce too many reactive oxygen species and then you may negate the effect, but mainly in, I don't know how many studies there are out there, about 4,000 studies on humans that there's, there's no documented side effects. You know, if, if you compare, you know, if you're taking an opiate or, or any of these other things, you know, it's, it's a very, very safe therapy generally. Okay. That's great. What if, um, and I'm just going to ask this because, you know, people tell me, you know, sometimes not, you ask these questions and I'm asking, I'm wondering the same thing as I'm listening to the podcast. What yeah. if somebody has, uh, what about things like, um, like melanoma or precancerous growths? Cause you know, as time goes on, it seems that there's an increase in these things. And if someone has a history of that on their forehead, is the red light, is there any information on red light and, and, that kind of thing. I I mean, there's a part of me that says, oh, there might be some benefit. But on the other hand, I don't know. So I'm. Yeah, I think generally people say not to use where there's a known active tumor of any kind. Of course. Yeah. Uh, however, I think the more and more research that goes on, it seems like, again, this whole thing about homeostasis, the body isn't just accelerating cell growth anywhere. Mm-hmm. It's kind of using the energy you know where it should but yes of course i think always are on the side of caution and i will say straight away i am not a medical doctor and anyone who's doing any of this and has any concerns definitely should Talk seek your doctor yeah full perfect you know full disclaimer i do not claim at all to be offering medical advice and you really do need to see a professional if you've got something like active cancer in your body yeah but i will say that there are people who are looking and i was recently at durham university with the wonderful professor paul chazot and and you know he was looking and and asking the question well you know what is going on here does is it actually accelerating cell growth everywhere or is it accelerating cell growth in very specific pockets in which case it changes the conversation around cancer but at the moment while we still don't know and there's still not enough data it's mm-hmm. always best to err on the side of caution. A hundred percent. You know, it's always, if there's any kind of concern, you know, p- people say to me, what about in pregnancy? You know, no, I don't think there's a side effect, but of course, err on the side of caution and don't do it then. You know, you yeah. have active, you have epilepsy. Until the data's in, it really is down to, you know, individual responsibility and to kind of do what's best for you and make sure you've checked it out with all the people all of your health professionals but yeah I think really it's a a very relatively safe modality and people are looking at at these conditions that seem to be a contraindication and who knows maybe in five years time yeah relatively listed as a I mean definitely doing a search on PubMed guy for those of you who like to research there you know you go on to PubMed and you type in 
near infrared or red light mm -hmm. therapy or photobiomodulation and fill in the blank, see what's being done on the research side, speak to your medical professional. But yes. as Sarah said, I mean, definitely when, especially like pregnancy is one where it's really hard, right? Because people want to be, they want to be healthy during their pregnancy. They want to do all the things they can do to ensure that super baby and healthy mom. And in cases like this, it's tempting. And we have to say, we just don't have the data. So we don't really know. Yeah, we don't have the data. You have to make your own choice. But bear in mind that these frequencies are frequencies that you find in natural sunlight. Uh -huh. You know, we're not giving the body something that it doesn't already recognize. So I think that's that's really why I love this therapy is because it's something where you say, yeah, would you get that in nature? Yeah, you would. You'd get that mm -hmm. at sunrise and sunset. And actually, you know, for people who want to try out, sunrise and sunset is a great way to get red light. Perfect. You know, regardless of all... Well, all of this technology and everything that we've got going on, but we actually have free red light twice a day. Yeah. You know, everyone has access to it. Even, you know, here I am in grey old England, although I mustn't say that we have a rare heat wave today of 30 <laughs> degrees, which everybody's outside. But, you know, even on grey old England day, you know, at sunrise and sunset, you're still getting those long wavelengths of light. So, you know, yes, te this technology is great. You know, if you want to start off using it and, you know, getting the tech is a problem, go out at sunrise, you know, start there. Yeah. But I think the good thing, you know, the good thing about these technologies is you're not giving yourself something that the body doesn't already have access to. Right. So I think, you know, if people are weighing it up, weighing up the risks, that's something to consider. It's, you know, these are natural frequencies. Cool. I love it. Thank you. Sarah, where can people find you? Where can they find out more? And, um, where can they get their own device if they decide that Sarah Thrive is something that they want to get their hands on? Yeah, no problem. Well, I can be anywhere on Sarah Thrive, which is C-E-R-A, Sarah Thrive. Um, and I'm on all the usual socials, but any links from all the socials or any of the websites, sarahthrive.com, it all comes back to me. Amazing. So uh, anyway, yeah, Sarah at sarahthrive.com. I love it. Thank you so much. It's always such a pleasure speaking with you. I can't wait to see... You know, I can't wait to do this again in a year and find out, you know, all the amazing things that have emerged um, yes. after the, uh, this being out in the market for a year. It'll be awesome. It will be awesome. And I'm sure I have a lot to tell you. So, yes. Can't wait. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Sarah. Have a great day and stay cool. Take care now. Bye-bye. Before we wrap up today's episode, I'd love to invite you to join my biohacking superhuman performance community, aka the BSP community. This is a place where we dive deeper into longevity science, peptides, and bioregulators. If you're looking to get into the nitty gritty on these larger topics, this is the place for you. Plus, we hold weekly Q&A sessions, either with myself or with special guests for live interviews for you to join, and you can ask questions to the community for everyone to answer along with myself. It's an amazing community. If you want to join, head over to natnidham.com forward slash BSP dash community to join or find the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning into today's episode. I wish you all the best this week in your biohacking superhuman performance. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the biohacking superhuman performance podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly, or if you'd like to leave any comments, or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly 
through my website, natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.